0: This is Climate Conversations. Welcome. I am your host, Robert McLean. It's so great to have you on board. This podcast talks about the implications and the complications of the climate crisis. Hopefully we'll give you some information and within that some education. And once again, welcome. I've been away from my microphone for a few weeks because my son and his partner have just had a small boy. Well, all babies are small, aren't they? I had no idea how to talk about the problematic future that small boy was certain to encounter. No idea at all. I didn't want to raise the question of the climate crisis and dampen their joy, their enthusiasm, their happiness of bringing this small human into the world. I'm not concerned about the extra mouth to feed. I'm not concerned that Murphy Jack is just another person in this overburdened world. The problem is the prevailing economic system. The problem is the way we use energy. The problem is the 0.1% of the world's population that creates um, 50% of the world's emissions. The problem is the ultra-rich. They're the ones who are creating the most emissions. While Australians are rich, most of us are not ultra-rich. And yet we do need to change our behaviour. How do I talk to Murphy Jack's parents about that? I've no idea. Anyway, the climate crisis continues. And here in Australia, people continue to talk about it. First up, we have an interview on Radio National with Australia's Energy Minister, Chris Bowen. And that's followed by an interview on Radio National with Greens leader, Adam Bandt. And I must apologise, as these interviews are a little dated, as I collected them before I went away. But they still seem relevant, and I figured it was worth giving them a run. And you'll find links to both those interviews in the show notes.
1: After months of marathon talks between the Government and the Greens, Labor's safeguards mechanism has been given safe passage to pass the Senate. The changes will put a hard cap on the total emissions companies can create to help fast-track Australia's commitment to cut pollution by 43% to the end of the decade. Chris Bowen is the Minister for Climate Change and Energy and he joins us this morning. Minister, welcome back to breakfast.
2: Thanks, uh, Patricia. Good morning and good morning to everyone at home.
1: You've essentially agreed to a hard cap on emissions. Will it make it harder for new fossil fuel projects to be viable?
2: more than happy to run through the detail of how the cap will work patricia but firstly let us just say yesterday was a very significant day for climate policy in our country we have we are now well on the road to providing australian industry and the economy with a stable ambitious policy environment for investment and decarbonisation. And what what we did yesterday has been welcomed by the Climate Council and the Business Council, been welcomed by the ACF and the AIG. So I think it shows we've got the balance right. And the BCA said these reforms were tough but achievable. I think that's right. That's what the government's been trying to do, have a policy which is ambitious but achievable that sums up everything we're doing. Now in relation to the cap, more than happy to run through the details. Uh, When we put this out in January, we outlined what Emission, what emissions mm. reductions we expected to occur as a result of this policy, what we've done is write them into the legislation. Uh, so you know the requirement is that net emissions can't exceed 1,233 million tonnes between 2021 and 2021-22 20, and 2030, for example. Now, if I receive, or the Minister of the Day receives advice from the Climate Change Authority or as a result of new proposals that cap is being threatened or is being exceeded, then there are obligations on me, on the Minister of the Day, to consider options. What sort of options? Uh, Well, to consider options like tightening the rules or any other policy option that is available to to the Minister of the Day. Now, the important thing, there's a couple of important points to make here. That budget that we outlined carbon budget that we outlined in January and have confirmed in the legislation does does include projections, allowances for new proposals mm. already. It does include that, we've discussed that in, in the past, both specific proposals and a reserve or a buffer for okay. any new proposals. Within that budget that hasn't changed and if emissions go up, any frankly Patricia, the government of the day, the minister of the day, me would be obliged to consider options. That is quite appropriate and, and, and uh, that is the way it should be. Okay,
1: Adam Bant says the cap means half of these fossil fuel projects that are in the pipeline potentially will no longer proceed and projects that are further along, like fracking in the Northern Territories Beedaloo Basin, may not be feasible. Is Beedaloo feasible?
0: You can hear Chris Bowen's answer to that question by accessing the interview link. In the show notes. Now we hear Greens leader Adam Band talking about the safeguard mechanism. Again, it's on RN National Breakfast Program with Patricia Carvelas.
1: The government has struck a deal with the Greens to pass its safeguard mechanism just in time for the scheme to come into effect from July the 1st this year. Labor is heralding it a big win and a victory for their climate change agenda. But there are still key questions over how much the deal will limit new fossil fuel projects. Adam Bant is the leader of the Greens and joins me now. Adam Bant, welcome to the program. Hi, Patricia. You just don't know. Slipping in, swapping with Chris Bowen, thank you. In your own words, your deal stops around half of these uh, fossil fuel projects in the pipeline. Is that a win if there are more than 50, by your own maths, that can still be developed?
3: Well, what we know from the UN Secretary-General and the World scientists last week when they delivered their final warning is that countries like Australia cannot open new coal and gas projects if we are to have any chance of meeting our climate targets. And that is very clear. And that is the science, and that's what we've been saying all along. Now, as part of the changes the Greens have secured, uh, on our estimates, about half of the 116 new coal and gas projects in the pipeline now can't go ahead because there will be a hard cap on pollution. And that compares with where uh, Labor's initial proposal, which saw pollution from coal and gas go up. Why? Because under their original safeguard design, new coal and gas projects could keep opening up without restriction. And all they had to do was buy offsets um, for some tree planting permits and then claim that their pollution was going down. And under the projections, um, pollution from coal and gas, even under the government's own projections under the safeguard, was set to soar. Now, we've put a hard cap on that, and that stops uh, about half of those 116 projects pollution going into the air Um, and that's what we've achieved in um, the first year of this parliament now, we're coming after the rest and what we've got in the legislation now is the ability for the first time ever for the minister to put restrictions on or stop future coal and gas projects if they're likely to lift pollution above the cap Um, that's what we'll spend the rest of our time in this parliament focusing on stopping these remaining new coal and gas projects How will you do
1: going that? ahead. How? how can well, you said just put your time into it. What does that an, look like? Well, how, what mechanism a number do number
0: of- Access the interview link in the show notes and you'll get to hear Adam Rand's answer. Don't forget, check out the show notes. Next, we have the opening paragraphs of a story from the Winona Daily News. And the story is headlined, G7 Officials Haggle on Climate Change.
3: Sapporo, Japan Energy and Environment Ministers of the Group of Seven Wealthy Nations met Saturday in northern Japan, seeking to reconcile the world's heavy reliance on fossil fuels with the urgency of ending carbon emissions to stave off the worst consequences of climate change. The meetings in the northern Japanese city of Sapporo are aimed at forging a consensus on the best way forward, ahead of the G7 summit in Hiroshima in May. Speaking on the sidelines of the meetings, U.S. Presidential Envoy for Climate John Kerry said the G7 was powerfully positioned to be able to lead in the effort to stem global warming. We appreciate Japan's leadership and its stewardship of G7 this year.
0: Next, we have a story from The Conversation, and the story has the headline, The Environmental Impact of Russia's Invasion Goes Beyond Ukraine. How do we deal with the problems without passports? The story is written by Robert G. Patman, who is the Professor of International Relations at the University of Otago. His story begins, Russia's invasion of Ukraine appears to be a defining moment in the evolution of the post-Cold War world. In particular, it is highlighting problems that do not respect borders, such as environmental damage caused by war. These are raising important questions about our international security. Can a form of rules-based international cooperation, rather than great power aspirations, become the preferred diplomatic response? Join me now as we shift to the website Speed and Scale. The story there is headed, What Good Corporate Action Looks Like. Under the headline of Corporate Action Guide, the story begins, Solving our climate crisis will require a transformation of the global economy. Virtually all emissions can be traced back to a corporation whether public, private or state-owned, which means that companies have an outsized opportunity to lead the change to net zero. And now if you check in the show notes, you'll find a link to the TV show Black Gold, which was screened just recently by SBS television in Australia. It looks at the oil industry's decades-long campaign to deny the dangers of global warming. It goes for 1 hour and 26 minutes. It's worth catching up with, and you'll find a link to that in the show notes. And now from science we hear droughts are coming on faster. Higher global temperatures are increasing the frequency of flash droughts. The abstract for the science story begins. Droughts are generally considered a long and slowly developing climate hazard. A persistent lack of rainfall dries out soil and vegetation, followed by declining water levels in rivers and lakes. Droughts may build and endure for years over large areas, with snowballing consequences for people and the environment. Across the Horn of Africa, for example, rains have failed for six consecutive rainy seasons, bringing widespread food insecurity and mass migration. Just recently, I visited Queensland on Australia's Sunshine Coast, where I heard about the company Rove, which does EV conversions, That is, they take older conventional vehicles, that means they have an internal combustion engine, and convert them to a modern electric vehicle. I did approach them about creating an episode for this podcast, but they said in response that they were simply too busy. And that I can understand, for while I was there I saw two or three other stories on national television and a couple of stories in the national press. You'll find a link to the website in the show notes. Now we shift to the Brisbane Times for a story by Mike Foley and the headline for that story is Albanese Government to Impose Mandatory Pollution Caps on Cars to Drive Electric Vehicle Uptake. Foley's story begins, mandatory pollution caps will be applied to new cars for the first time as part of the Federal Government's National Electric Vehicle Strategy to drive uptake of cleaner cars as a key measure to help Australia meet its climate targets. Australia is the last developed country except Russia that does not impose pollution caps on vehicles. Federal Climate Change and Energy Minister Chris Bowen and Transport Minister Catherine King announced on Tuesday the Albanese government would impose fuel efficiency standards on all new passenger vehicles, although they didn't detail the standards or the timing of their introduction. And now from the New York Times, we have a story by Raymond Zong. The headline for the story is, As world warms, droughts come on faster, study finds. And so Raymond Zong's story begins. Flush droughts, the kind that arrive quickly and can lay waste to crops in a matter of weeks, are becoming more common and faster to develop around the world. And human-caused climate change is a major reason a new scientific study has found as global warming continues, more abrupt dry spells could have grave consequences for people in humid regions whose livelihoods depend on rain-fed agriculture. The study found that flash droughts occurred more often than slower ones in parts of tropical places like India, Southeast Asia, Sub-Saharan Africa and the Amazon Basin. Yes, we've reached the end of this episode of Climate Conversations. Thanks so much for your coming. It's been great to have you along. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to share it with your friends. In fact, I'd love you to share it with your friends because we all need to know all we possibly can about the climate crisis, how we should react, how we should respond, and what we should do. So please, please share this with your friends. Also, if you'd like to make some comment, please send me an email at r.mclean7 at icloud.com. So until we talk again, please take care, stay safe, and please be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And don't forget, you'll find links to all those stories mentioned today in the show notes. So until we talk again, please take care.